Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. What? Tell me, Jason, what does a producer like to hear? Wonderful intro like that one. Thank you so much. Uh, and thank you, dear listener, for listening to Try Love. It is a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. Get tickets to a bunch of cool stuff I'll talk about in a couple of minutes. But for right now, my name is Jason Daphnis. I am Philibus, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody Narvison, and I'm a bit of an amateur detective myself, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. And I'm Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. and I really want to thank all of you for listening to this very special episode. I know it's kind of unusual for us, but I think in light of the current political climate, it's imp- it's very important that we talk about this, right? And I think to understand why the filibuster is such an anti-democratic measure in the Senate right now, you have to go back to what it was originally intended for. Um, and uh, so- Harry. that Yes? Hey, uh, did you did you watch the right thing before we hopped on? And we're Is talking it, about the filibuster and why it has to be. It has to go. Got to be out. Um, ooh, no. N- uh, oh, we're talking we about the Italian film episode. from 1915, Filibus. There you go. That's right. okay. Yep, well, you got that's it. fine. We can t- we can do that too. That makes a lot more sense now that I think about it. I guess. Okay. If you say, I mean, we don't have to. Did it's you watch? You- did you watch the movie, Harry? Or did you just spend like oh, three hours favorite. researching the filibuster? Oh, okay. Uh, well, that was the reveal. Uh, this is uh, an episode about Philibus, a 1915 Italian silent film directed by Mario Roncoroni and written by Giovanni Bertinetti. I have to. Um, it features Valeria Creti as Baroness Tremond, a.k.a. the titular Philibus, an Italian sky pirate and infamous burglar. Uh, in an attempt to cast off suspicion after a recent heist of the International Bank, the Baroness enters a competition to find the culprit and frame the investigating detective Cut Hendy. I can't do that in an Italian accent. Can anybody try that in an Italian accent? Cut Hendy? I'm not sure. Cut what the Hendy. Cut the Hendy. That's I'm not, not sure. anything. We're adding syllables, which I guess is the Italian uh, spirit of it, but I, I'm I not sure just, what his nationality is. It's mostly about the position of the fingers, right? That's the most important it really element is. of the accent. And it's the damnedest shame we don't make this a video podcast, yeah, because but we're really going at it. Sure um, you understand what we're doing right now. You're going to see it in all of the tweets for the next week or so. And you should know that I'm I'm just like I am gearing up for this next name. Uh, Detective Cunhendi is played by one Giovanni Spano uh, himself. Uh, sorry, I really got off track there. But uh, the Baroness tries to frame him as Philibus. Um, the film follows the pirates' uh, exploits, staging new crimes to pin on the detective while disguised as a young nobleman. I did not write down the name of the nobleman whose uh, whose disguise she adopts, but um, she's using her wits and various gadgets to maintain just one step ahead of the investigator, all while courting his own sister. Uh, Leonora, played by Cristina Ruspoli, uh, while in disguise. Um, Philibus is often, I'm, I guess I'm aping Aaron's thing here, but, uh, Philibus is often cited as an early pioneer of feminist fiction, as well as queer representation, cross-dressing, gender fluidity, and science fiction, among many other themes that appear throughout the film. Um, I should say that it played at the Trilon, uh, 
excuse me, this month and was accompanied by a live score by pianist Katie Condon. Uh, Katie Condon and was shown with the, the assistance of the University of Minnesota's Imagine Fund as part of the Twin Cities Silent Film Project. Uh, that's a lot of my talking, but I have a little bit more to do because I guess I'm up first with summaries and thoughts. Uh, I've kept it to a, a short minimum, but we're already four minutes in. So um, with movies this old, I guess it's always like when they're described for me, when they're described as feminist classics or pioneering or whatever, I sort of being a straight white man, I balk a little bit about like how effective or how revolutionary they really were in 1915, you know, before voting rights were, I guess, uh, granted, like what, what was the standard, I guess, by the standards of 1915, uh, you know, it probably was pretty radical, et cetera, et cetera. If a woman was like allowed to vote or, you know, if she was allowed to ride, ride a bicycle to her governess's tea party or whatever the situation was. For, well, Jason, like, I think we have to remember that we're we're being a little bit western centric here. Uh, Italy has never had any problems with women. Um it's always been a very egalitarian society. Right, right. I guess end. I need to yeah, I need to so get out of my it's own really, head. Um, it's mostly an American thing. I think feminism was all worked out in Italy by 1915. Uh, I I believe it actually took them maybe 20 more years to grant voting rights than the US. Not really doffing our cap there, but uh uh this I, I all that said, this movie does like actually uh take that up a notch i think it's actually like impressively so i think it deserves a lot of the modern praise that it gets uh to where this woman isn't just like exercising social leverage she's also directly undermining social order by uh you know adopting um uh, men's fashion and mannerisms and uh literally like undercutting the legal system and class systems by robbing a rich detective and framing him for the crime like some really like fun neat stuff that goes on um i like that she's an autonomous character uh that she commands an entire airship with a crew i guess of just guys who think it's cool that she does this i'm not sure that it's ever explained but it rocks it's it's yeah, exactly dude, like the porco like rosso thing for the win in this movie too i want to be on philibus's crew <laughs> uh I, I just love that, that like she's given the power to think always uh, one step ahead of the bad guys that she's not impeded by much that there's no like realistic need to throw in, um uh you know, like a, a, a certain, I don't know, she's never got a foil or like she's never outdone. There's one time near the end just for like dramatic tension where she's given, um uh, you know, where she where she is tied up before she escapes. But then she escapes like with a plum. I don't know. It's it's really fun. Like, I definitely see why this is considered a fun, empowering movie. It's also just like delightfully devilish um like as the plot unfolds you're like oh you're gonna you're gonna pin it on on the investigator himself how how toured right and then it's like oh so you're going to you're going to court his sister and it's like oh gadzooks is this really the, the like the direction this plot is taking um and then like oh you're going to kidnap the suitor and it's like I, I, oh my stars and garters like where where is this movie going how many different plot elements how many ways is she going to undermine like the the order that is present in this in the time of this movie 1915 um what i'm saying is that it's like it's very easy to feel a little bit scandalized in the right way by by it's like uh, cheeky impropriety, I guess, which is something that I'm not really used to from early cinema. Um, I'm not really well versed in it. I'm sure that many people in the uh, silent film fund could probably prove me wrong about that 100%, but I'm just not used to it as somebody without the same literacy. Um, I think one last point is that I think it's very uh, interesting to point out that the main actress, um, while like a memorable face and while she does uh, like own the role, I think she blends in very well, which is very much the point, but also from like 
onto the screen she blends in like most scenes in which she's not the only person on in the frame uh she just kind of like disappears like including the opening shot of the movie i was like where the hell am i supposed to be looking because the shot lasts about seven and a half seconds of just this open room like a tea room where she's reading the paper about her recent heist um in early film because there's no sound design per se uh, and like focus, like depth of field is is kind of a rarity. It's really easy to lose the subject or action um, when the frame is capturing several things at once. And I think that works in this movie's favor because it doesn't use it super often. But when it does, it's like you're sort of scouring the frame. I'm not sure if that was I'm not sure how much to attribute that to like a future focused filmmaking style as it was like this is a necessity of the format. But just the way that we've come to interpret and watch these movies, I think it's an interesting thing to consider uh, whether or not the character uh, stands out or is like seen on visually as much of a heroine uh, when she's like part of a of an ensemble. Right. There are many party scenes and a few like uh, public shots in this movie where where she just kind of blends away. Um but I really like that. Uh, that was about four minutes of me talking. I'm going to hand it off to Cody now. I don't have a cute way to do it um, just because I've been too focused on nailing that Aaron Grossman summary of mine. Um, but I'll uh, I'll let Cody take it from here. Oh, sorry. I don't and have anybody okay. to throw to today. So I would like to take Jason's if you would. Um, I'm up in my airship, right? And I'm just going to drop myself in a metal pod that somehow nobody sees as it descends and just like creep on <laughs> down right behind Cody. And again, nobody sees this and just uh, tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, buddy, it's your turn. And then I'm going to go back up into the airship. So that's what I got. <laughs> wow. I didn't see that coming um, uh, within the context of your transition and in reality of Harry uh, taking the baton and running with it. Uh, my response to you, Jason, is that um, the way you are is cute enough as it is. You don't need a cute transition. So, uh, oh, a nice little head bob. Man, maybe we should become a video podcast. <laughs> Good Lord. I don't have anything that's like a cute kissy face or an awe effect. I just have that. <laughs> oh, and it is more than enough. Um, but yeah, thank you. Um, uh, yeah, so Philibus, this is a movie I've seen uh, like five or six f- times before. Something of a favorite in, uh, of mine in high school. Um, and I've loved exploring the, the reevaluations and, and reappraisals for it over the years. No, uh, this is the first time I've seen this movie. Uh, I started watching last night on the streaming service Canopy. Um, but they didn't seem to have the um, like the nicer restored version that I think they were probably showing uh, at the trial on. So I rented it on. I rented this movie on Kino now, and from what I can tell, Philibus uh, was restored and made available on Blu-ray through Milestone Films, which you can pick up through Kino Lorber's website. That is physical media slash streaming corner for the week. Um, moving on, uh, yeah, this would be a. I think a stronger sentiment from me if I'd felt more comfortable going to a theater right now. But this, this is, a, I think, a classic. Like, this is why I go to the Trilon movie, or like, this is why I would go to any independent theater uh, movie. It's, you know, silent films in general. Um, I, I guess as an extension, just like older films, films that are a century old or older, um, they, they, they get viewed in a certain different light. Some of that's warranted. Some of it certainly isn't. Uh, and it's hard not to come in watching a movie like this with a bias against the sort of like limited technical resources of the time. I'm definitely guilty of it. Um, so it's, it's a nat- it's natural, I think, to try and find things to, to latch onto, um, to, to really, to, ease you in as a viewer things that transcend 
medium um, and transcend a century's worth of like genre context and development. Um, and like the modern descriptions of this film say, and I think I am quoting this verbatim from Kino Now's uh, description of it and a little bit from the trial and website as well, but like contemporary descriptions of this movie, you know, they, they'll say things like it's an exciting, witty, feminist, steampunk, cross-dressing, aviatrix thriller. And like, not only is that super attention grabbing, uh, and it looks cool on paper, makes you want to watch it. Uh, but those things are also true. Like the, those are, those are very true things. And in some cases, you know, Philibus exudes sort of bare bones examples of, um, of some of those ideas. And, uh, I think uh, as Jason sort of alluded to, we can't hold this movie to too high of a standard because it's 1915 and you got to crawl before you can walk or before you can run, um, et cetera. But it's, it's kind of thrilling to see some of those pieces explored, um, here in this work and this is the dumbest comparison i could probably do but like one of my favorite episodes of the television show archer involves the characters getting into shenanigans on a rigid airship and 100 years ago an early version of that type of you know, lovable scoundrel energy is found in the in in this character um in this movie and at times they are also aboard an airship go figure that's super fun uh and so like this this isn't by any means my favorite silent film. I don't know what that one would be. Um, but like, there's so clearly a space for Philibus to be viewed and appreciated in the year 2022 and going forward. Um, there's lots of uh, fun, practical inventiveness um, with the, the airship scenes. Uh, see earlier the transition from Harry to me. Um, that stuff is super fun and um, goofy and satisfying. Excuse me. As as is the um the the constant one upping of the detective. I think one of my earliest notes when I was watching this movie is like, are we just going to spend seventy minutes just like dunking on this detective? And that's what we do. Like that's that's it. It is fun. It is a, a game of cat and mouse between an incredibly wealthy person and a cop. Um, but you know the rich person. You know the title character. They have quirky disguises and stealing things is really fun. Theft is good actually. So uh, I had a, a really good time with, uh, with the Baroness. Um, yeah, it, it was fun. I had a really good time. I, though, oh, um, I can feel myself as I'm talking, getting knocked out by a, a sort of dusty powdery sedative. So, um, if somebody else, you know, you, re- somebody else really ought to grab the microphone. Um, Harry, go for it. <laughs> I will now prove that Cody Narvison is, in fact, the legendary Philibus. Yeah, no, I uh, I agree with both of you. I think that this movie works really surprisingly well in a couple of ways. And um, to get at Cody's point a little bit, it's it's interesting that it. I think it works almost better than it could have. Well, I don't know this, right? But in its time, it's a, it's a movie that holds up really uniquely well in 2022, right? Because it because of the expectations you bring into it, um, like the expectations, Jason, you were talking about with um, like how feminist could this really be? How queer could this really be? Um, it ends up in a really radical space, at least for me. Um, and it, it does so through some really interesting directorial or plot choices where Philibus's actual motivations seem radical on the face, or at least like they're, they're almost illogical for the explanation provided within the context of the movie itself. She goes out of her way to do more, um, elaborate and ridiculous things in order to um, sort of satirize the entire society that she's a part of, right? Like, there's no reason for her to court 
Lenora, unless she has either a, a genuine attraction to Lenora or like this Old Testament Hannibal Lecter level um, vengeance that she wants to enact on the detective. This in general reminded me a lot of Hannibal because it's like she tries to gaslight the detective into thinking that he is actually Philippus and it almost works, which is a wild thing to pull off in this movie. Um, super funny. She also knocks him out with knockout powder like three separate times, which is really, really funny. <laughs> it, takes, like, it takes him way too fucking long to catch on to that. Yeah. Right, to the point where I was like, when is this idiot going to finally catch on? And then he does, right? <laughs> like, in the climax, the way that he thwarts Philippus is he literally just stuffs his nose up with, <laughs> with like, some <laughs> cotton or something. Um, but I really love the idea that Philippus is in this... She's almost like this semi-self-aware character where the point of her and the point of her shenanigans is to satirize the system itself, right? Like, she is actually... a. Uh, uh, woman and she is undercover as a nobleman and this nobleman is undercover as philibus so like by the end of the movie they've only cracked one layer of her disguise right and and the the way that she manages to be so far ahead of these people because she seems to understand gender as performance to like a much higher level than anybody else and even her target of the detective, this detective who enjoys so much sort of like institutional support and gratification and acclaim, like it, her whole life revolves around sort of like showing him up uh, in in increasingly elaborate and funny ways, even to to the point where like there's there's one scene right where she her whole game is she's trying to convince these people that the detective is sleepwalking. So she the detective sets up a camera inside the um the diamond eye she's trying to steal she props him up so it looks like he's sleeping and taking the diamond at the same time and that's that's the other half of this movie that holds up so well right is that like i think that the humor and the action is so surprisingly contemporary um and maybe that's just because it influenced so much right like i i definitely think hayao miyazaki has some explaining to do <laughs> especially with regards to like the airships with regards to lupin and zenigata's whole relationship it's like it's all right there i felt bad that like i wanted to have minneapolis mad on right because he would have some great things to say about this movie um i would bet um i think everybody does a really great job performing too i particularly like philibus as an actress i think she did a really awesome job um i really like silent film acting i guess um the detective looks exactly like f murray abraham it's like it's fucking wild it really freaked me out the whole time i was like how is f murray abraham in this movie um yeah so uh oh it does uh jason's favorite thing with the lights where when you turn off lights in silent films it goes from like orange to blue it looks so good um so yeah i think overall i agree with cody i think that this is a really perfect trilon movie in a couple of different ways um my favorite idea about this movie in regards to the trilon is that i love the idea of, of surfacing these sort of alt histories right this idea that like oh the, these semi-radical feminist queer films works were always happening they were just not sort of like seen as such but it's really cool to like insert philibus into like the film canon and see what it does to the rest of the canon and see how it sort of changes your understanding of things retroactively and i think that's like a really great purpose that the trilon has always fulfilled for me um sadly i didn't get to see this at the theater because i had a covid scare you know like everybody else but um it would have been amazing to see the score because the score is really awesome too um but now i've like Philibus herself, gone into increasingly elaborate lengths to sort of satirize myself. So I'm going to pass to Jason. Did I mute too fast again? Jason, and then I'm going <laughs> to wait, like, listen to this, ready? It's like...
I don't know if we were playing a joke there, but I didn't, I got, it's like, uh, yeah, I, what you were saying about, um, how, uh, like they only crack one layer of her disguise by the end of the movie, I think is like really, really smart to point out because it does move quite smoothly, even for a 107 year old film, it moves quite smoothly to where you wouldn't like point out specific things uh you might just be able to be carried along by the plot which again not something i'm used to in films this old where they were still i mean what 30 40 years from the advent of the medium they were still figuring out pieces and how like to interact the story with the way that you're presenting it and all this kind of stuff um the camera for example only moves i guess i only noticed like panning or whatever whatever that's called um shots of like after uh leo jumps out of the airship and has to swim back to shore they like scooch the camera down to follow him while he's uh while he's uh swimming but anyway you know not as non inventive as the camera work is as like uh solid as our presentation of the, of the of the world is um it does do that thing where like it foregrounds very effectively i think that whole concept of like the multiplicity of identities in a way that more you know contemporary heist movies contemporary movies in general would rely on later like oh Channing Tatum is in uh, disguise later on in this movie, but you need to understand him as one character. So we will sort of introduce him as one character. Uh, and then later on in the movie, we will make it clear that the person you're seeing in this scene while disguised as somebody else is pretty clearly him, right? You know, let, that's how they'd rely on it. That's how they'd like tell the story. That's how they would set up some reveal or, you know, have dramatic irony in this movie in the opening credits in the opening sequence the introductory like where we're getting familiar with the characters they actually point out that the baroness has three different outfits one of which is clearly a baroness one of which is clearly like a uh, the 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 uh, nobleman that she disguises herself as to to um to sting the detective and one of which is philibus with the mask and the dark clothes and stuff um which i felt found a little maybe like I have that thing about having my hand held in movies and it was like, Oh, in the, you know, the early 1900s, you kind of needed that because you need the exposition a little bit before you get to the movie. But then by the end of the movie, it's like, okay, that's clearly, they were clearly setting it up, making it very obvious because they couldn't, they couldn't rely on like, you'll know who this is by the end of the movie. If you see this same actress in another outfit, you will not recognize because we don't, we don't have the technological capacity to be that like, detailed we can't rely on you know enough elements of this plot coming together cleanly enough to um to really like make that obvious once they're on screen but in the uh like because we've set up that work because we put in the footwork at the front end because we foregrounded it you now have a very clear understanding of what every character is going to do in relation to each of those characters you know what role the nobleman has in relation to leonora courting her what role philibus has in relation to the detective as the guy who's going to or as the thief who's going to you know sting him um and the baroness just sitting on the sideline like she's least in the role of the baroness which is i think a fun thing to point out that she's throughout this movie almost entirely either the nobleman or uh the thief she only appears as the baroness to like claim the prize winning entry a couple of times anyway um that's a lot of babbling and i see at least one hand up so uh cody do you have any thoughts about that yeah definitely and i mean babbling notwithstanding um like you said a lot of great shit and it got me thinking about like how well this is um I, this is accidentally sort of a nice pairing with our our last episode about purple nurple um you know the the ways in which um you know it, it, the we we're talking about it to some extent 
um, last week, but I, I mean, watching the the sort of machinations and the the scram the scrambling between these little showdowns that um, that uh, that Tom Ripley has with um, the people uh, sort of in this world. Not to say that um, Purple Noon and and Philibus are, are one and the same, but like um, you, you know, you think about getting lost in the layers. Um, I, I think as as Jason was talking about, and like the layers for this, I, like I like how the layers are established up front. Like these are the characters, and then these are these three people residing within this one person. These are these are the clever guys. Um, and you know, we we get you know we we sort of get lost in them here, and the the machinations of um, of Philippus. Uh, I, not so much, you know, scrambling, but just, you know, the, there's a lot, you can sort of see her, uh, on screen thinking and, and some, in some cases, the intertitles verbalize those thoughts. And it, it is just sort of like, it, it's like going three or four rounds with, you know, the detective with all these other people. And in between those sort of showdowns of like, you know, is she going to get his ass? Of course she's going to get his ass. But like in between, we see the machinations of like her putting on these fronts. And then as the movie goes, we see more like, okay, these are the machinations of these relationships. And like all of that works super well together. Like this would be way less fun of, um, uh, of a thing to watch if we weren't like shown all of that, you know, if there weren't, you know, all these beefy, uh, willing henchmen to, to look at, you know, if there was an air of mystery to everything that just like, like, like what I'm, what am I watching? Not to say that Philibus can't like anchor a movie by herself, but just like adding in the sort of cogs that makes this machine run and like making that super obvious, like that just, I just keep coming back to, to the word fun. It just, it makes this so much more fun to experience. Yeah, that's great. I, uh, I had two things I wanted to say about both of your points, I guess. First of all, um, I'm really glad you brought up those shots at the beginning, um, Jason. One, because they're totally delightful, right? Where they introduce the actors, um, like you were saying, but also because they, they totally formally ground what the movie's attempting um, using the language of cinema, right? Because like we, we keep talking about layers, right? But that's because there was a literal layering effect in that first shot, right? The, when we're first introduced to Philibus, they literally overlay three different camera shots, three different um, positions of the woman playing Philibus so that we can see all of her uniforms side by side. It's like for 1915, it probably was mind blowing, right? And like, it, it looks mm -hmm. great still. I thought it was a really it's, tremendous it's even effect. Like like you could call it experimental almost, you know, it's, it's yeah, like really absolutely. stunning to see. Yeah. And I probably the most interesting visual aspect of the movie. Right. Although I really liked some of the airship stuff too. Um, but like you had said, it, it really follows this sort of like almost. And, and again, like this is a very 2022 mindset to bring to this movie, I realize, but like a pretty inarguable positioning of this movie intentionally in what it's doing. Right. It's like, we are very much positioning, Philibus within this context of the adventure serial and within this context of the dashing roguish hero, but we're subverting it, right? And I think even at its time, in its time, that's how it was interpreted, right? As it was like, it was in conversation with all of these adventure serials, not unlike, you know, what Indiana Jones would later be, right? But like, it, it, reading it that way is so interesting because it makes the fact that the plot makes all of the choices that it does really intentional feeling, right? Like, 
of course, this movie has to start basically in media res, right? Where like Philibus has been Philibus. She has a nemesis in the form of the detective, her Zenigata to her Lupin. Um, and this has probably happened before, right? Like this is this is the game that she plays. It's very much like Purple Noon, right? With Tom Ridley, where it's like, this is like what he does. Um, but but here it's like we're we're doing all of these things. These we're making these references, these appeals to something that the audience will already understand, being fans of adventure serials and everything. And we're we're just sort of like reframing that and and recontextualizing the history of those things to include this satirization of gender performance and role performance within um, a patriarchal society. And it's it's really fascinating to do that, right? Because then all of a sudden we are cheering for a an archetypal roguish hero like Indiana Jones, but the reason why she is heroic and the reason why we're cheering for her is because she's satirizing these things. And so all of a sudden it becomes, we're, we're using the sort of tools of the adventure serial and of this particular genre to do something that's so much more interesting and subversive. Right. And so it's, it's fascinating. I think it's, it's a really without, without at any point sort of compromising the integrity or the, um, the genuine satisfaction of that genre, right? Like this is not a deconstruction of the adventure serial. It's just a really good example of it. Right. And it just so happens Mm -hmm. to be broadening the scope of what that can be about to include this um, sort of taking to task of how silly and performative uh, gender roles and societal roles, class roles are. Um, And it's like, all of that is pretty good for an hour long movie from 1915. That's about a female air pirate, right? Man, what a good movie. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I feel like, and this is the most facile, like plain thing you will ever hear on this podcast um, until the next time I speak. But I feel like, the tropes and storytelling, you know, styles and themes and stuff that get put in movies today or any, any time are just like, we come to feel like we sort of own them because we can ascribe them to something like I ascribe all things, adventure movies to Indiana Jones, because it was the first series of Indiana of uh, adventure movies I saw. Right. I can recognize that things, uh, you know, uh, storytelling, um, devices and plot contrivances and conflicts existed you know, generations, hundreds and thousands of years before ever anything like Indiana Jones ever uttered. But just the concept of like, my frame of reference has expanded now from, uh, you know, my frame of reference being, oh, feminist action, feminist, like, um, uh, like, I don't know, elements, like things that come out in our time, uh, that are supposed to be forwarding, you know, uh, a message of equity and equality with, and marrying that against like traditional storytelling, um, like, uh, I don't know, not to say it's a, it's a non-parail of the format or genre or theme or anything, but like just as an example, the recent um, Ocean's Eleven or Ocean's Eight uh, uh, entry, right? That was just a cast led by all women is like hailed today as an example of like, or not hailed today, but at the time was an example of like, yeah, we're making progress. We've put women in these traditionally masculine roles. And like, I don't know, you think one way or, not, or another about that, but then you look 101 years before that comes out and you think this same this movie did the same thing in 35 less, you know, fewer minutes and probably had a lot more fun doing it, you know, whether or not it was like as lastingly or as publicly like influential as more modern examples is like a, a whole 
question of heuristics and how we actually share this information and how just mediums of communication have exploded for us to be able to share like these styles and these and these this discourse i guess i guess i'm just describing the discourse but like it it this philibus more than even uh the sherlock jr uh, episode that we did um makes me think about those things just because they're much more stunningly out of their time they feel like but then i have to question what does it mean that they're that those themes or that like the way that this movie was made is out of its time. It's not, it is very much of its time and of every time I just describe it to like, Oh, that's a, that's a thing within the last 35 years is we're trying to like make women part of things that were typically like ascribed to men. Right. Um, and that's just the most, like I said, that's why I described this as facile is because like, it's a little baby realization I had while watching this movie that I should have had 25 years ago when I was four years old. Um, that again, big babble time, uh, Cody. No, that makes total sense. And I mean, I, I had that uh, sensation too as a, a 2022 ass man, you know, uh, watching this movie and being reminded of things like Lupin the Third and, you know, thinking about, you know, uh, similar fun projects and stories like this. And my knee jerk reaction is like, you know, oh, I, oh, I can't, uh, I kind of want to watch the next one. I expect there to be a lot of enclosed adventures um, because it's, it's an enclosed uh, adventure with like not huge stakes. Um, you know, there's a, a casual gestured at romance that we, that the loop gets close to because, um, you know, our, our, um, titular hero needs to sail off, you know, float out, float on into the sky, into the distance. Uh, and then just being <laughs> bummed, well, bummed that there weren't more of these. Um, I, I don't believe that there are more of these for me to watch. And also bummed that I had that, um, <laughs> contemporary, like marvelized, uh, uh, viewpoint of like, oh, just like there's, you know, there's a box set of these somewhere that I can just watch and there's not, um, which is a, a huge bummer, but no, I, I think that that totally makes sense. I think, you know, as you know, itty bitty baby as the realizations may seem, I think that's one of like the most beneficial and, um, like, uh, useful things that we can do as like dudes with microphones, <laughs> um, is just like, you know, um, uh, how do these things tie together? Um, you know, between, between eras, um, they may not be groundbreaking realizations, but like, I'm all about context and I'm all about contextualizing. And so, no, I like that. I really glad you said that, that, and that all makes perfect sense. Um, and then really quick, what, um, the Harry mentioning this being, you know, like a a great example of its thing, you know, its existence as an adventure serial. I, I thought that as well while watching specifically when, you know, as I, I was looking at these shots and they, the, the bits with the airship just could have looked like, you know, uh, even for the time, just like cheap nonsense. They don't though. Like the, the sequences look great. And, um, you know, I guess talking about different types of layering in the background, I noticed in most, if not every exterior shot, it's just like, you know, some, some townhouses, you know, um, shots of the, you know, rooftops of buildings in the city and like mountains in the background. Um, uh, and I, I, another weird comparison. I was recently in Vegas and I just noticed that wherever I was, like anywhere I looked into the distance, there were just fucking mountains there. That's how I felt watching this movie. It just like, bam, mount, like they don't need to, they don't need to do that. Like it could just be like a simple, you know, stage and just, you know, with like a, a monochrome background with no details, but like there are, there are details everywhere. Like it makes, it makes everything in the frame. So, so much um, richer, almost as rich as the Baroness herself. But um, I, yeah, I don't know. That was just like a, a nice detail that did not go unnoticed by me or probably anybody who watches this. So I, I felt like I wanted to call it out. 
Yeah, it's a really beautiful movie. And also, uh, I mean, just I feel this way whenever we watch movies that are that are this old, especially, but especially are like, but even like 1950s or 60s movies, just what a joy it is to see um, what is presumably Italy itself uh, on a camera that was in 1915, right? Like they, they captured what a city looks like in Italy in 1915, which is unbelievable, right? Like there's there's almost no way to... I mean, pictures can't really do that justice in the same way. So it's like it's like there's this this indisputable part of history there. Um, and I, I really I'm going to reiterate a lot of what Cody said, I guess. But it's kind of like what we talked about on the um, Shogun Assassin episode. With um, I brought up the stupid T. S. Eliot and the tradition and the individual talent thing, where like I, I really feel like. Um, we have very limited tools and we're, we're basically ignorant as you both noted about like the actual position of this movie in regards to history. Like, I don't know shit about um, Italian filmmaking in 1915. I don't know shit about um, adventure serials. So like, I can't really stipulate as to where this sits in position with the way the filmmakers or the way the film industry or the way the artistic scenes were thinking about this movie and what they were deriving from it. But I know that, I have an understanding of that, right? And I know that my understanding of this genre in time through sort of like history is informed by each new thing that I experience. And so it's it's still invaluable, right? To me, even as a 2022 ignorant person with limited resources and knowledge to take this and apply it back to the, the history because it's like, and, and it's so fascinating in fact to like read it in that way and to see the ways in which it felt to me. And again, maybe this is projection, maybe it's inaccurate information, but like it felt to me like Philippus was so interested in embodying that, right. And in actually slotting itself into that position where it's like, you, you know, anybody looking at this has to deal with Philippus in history now. It's like, and what does it mean that Philippus is there? Well, it means that that like these tools could also have been used for all of these other things, right? And and were and people were thinking about these things. And so I think that like not to not to defend the premise of our own podcast, right? But like that's that's sort of what repertory cinema is all about for me, right? Is that like it's so fun to go back and see these things and then use them to recontextualize and redefine the way that you're thinking now and to use it to sort of like think differently if only slightly about things you already know and love right like i really think that like it would be super fun and super informative to watch indiana jones again after this movie right or like this watching this movie like you had said cody it makes me want to watch a bunch of these other ones right like i the first thing i did same as you was like look for other philibus movies because i felt sure that like there's got to be a bunch of these right um i don't think there is at least i didn't find any um but which is a shame because i would love to see them um but you know it's so great to like to have that experience, right? Like I definitely would never have found Philibus without the Trilon. And now when I, the next time I watch like Pompoco or Castle in the Sky or Nausicaa and I see the airship, I'm going to be like, oh yeah, Philibus. And like, what does it mean that that female protagonist was so ahead of her time? And then like, how does that relate to Miyazaki's female protagonists and so on and so forth? It's, it's super fun to have that as like a new frame of reference, I guess. Or, uh, or, you know, Joker. Yeah. Is this yeah. a Joker the, movie? No, this is not a this here's the thing. 2019 Jay Hoberman wrote for the New York Times, this 1915 silent film was the Joker of its day. 
Does anybody want to say anything about that? I have not read this piece. I just found it in Googling, and I don't, I'm, I don't know if I want to engage. It was a mistake. I take back everything I just said. Uh, <laughs> we should never look back. We should only move forward uh, towards the end, which is let's, where I want to go. Uh, let's never look back at that take, um, even if it turns out to be good after reading it. I have no idea if it will be. But um, uh, that, as, uh, as I uh, sort of have intimated a few times, I've sort of been running my tank dry of things to say about this movie, even though continually, I would say, see it if you can. It is available, as Cody said, through Kino uh, now, um, but I see a hand up. Uh, Harry, were there any final points that you wanted to make? I just had the last thought, sort of an open forum discussion. Do you think that the detective is just going to be paranoid as hell for the rest of his days that anybody he encounters is secretly Philibus? It's like, <laughs> oh, like my sister has a new boyfriend. Oh, I've got a new boss at my job. Oh, I just ran into this guy in the street. Is that Philibus? And do you think it had happened before? Because I feel like the way that he figured out that um, the suitor or whatever was Philibus, he wasn't like surprised enough for me. He was like, oh, all the pieces fall into place. I wonder if she's done this to him before and if she's going to do it to him again. Mm. I, it certainly seems like she's going to do it to him again. I I feel like he does a thing at the end of the movie where he starts attributing things that previously happened, like coincidences, happenstances, crimes. He starts to attribute them and... I would think I think there is a <laughs> it's not like usual a suspects not- where he, like <laughs> all of the pieces fit into place. It's like Philippus has been running my entire life. <laughs> I re- I really hope that's like part of the fiction. Uh, the other thing that I'm pretty sure is happening is he must he he must have like a by the end of this a psychosexual attraction to this character. Like he he's not certain of the character's gender. Like clearly throughout the movie, gender Don't we all cons- yeah constructs have been have been bent and played with throughout the film. He's definitely got a bit of a crush on on Philibus, whoever that is. It's like is, giant right? Mulan energy, right? Where it's like that <laughs> that dude before he realized Mulan was a woman was like, I am straight up in love with my soldier buddy. <laughs> I, I I would love to imagine that. Uh, maybe it's better that we don't have more of these movies because now I can just kind of build the headcanon. Uh, Cody, was there anything else you wanted to get out of the tank? Any any thoughts? Should uh, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'm going to stop you before you say something too gross. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, as somebody um, who employs the "you two gonna fall in love" letterbox tag, the fact that that like that threat that just like the the first two breadcrumbs of that happens with like Philippus and every other character without actually committing. To, I mean, obviously, it comes closest with um, with Leonora, if I got the name right. Um, doesn't quite fit the the description for my own dumb made up purposes. Um, but yeah, I mean that that. <laughs> The fact that this is, you know, self-contained and we can, if there were future, um, you know, uh, stories that we follow Philibus on, I would not want them to include the detective because he would be, um, you know, I, I, imagining that paranoia, um, maybe we see like a little bit at the end of this movie. Um, but like, I'd rather see her do that to somebody else instead of him, like shooting from the hip, you know, every chance he gets, he would just, he would be more volatile, more dangerous, you know, because that paranoia just, just mounts. Um, they, what I'm saying is they, they got out, um, at least with regard to this, this, you know, this specific, I, I presumably Italian environment, you know, they got out at the, at the right time. Um, would love to see more adventures of Philibus um, <laughs> preying upon more uh, groups of dopes elsewhere around the world. 
I mean, the arc clearly has to be that Lenora falls in love with Philibus and they run off together, right? I mean, that that was what they were you would gesturing think. towards even in this movie. That's what that's what always gets to me about, like, speaking of how great and queer this movie is, like, she had no reason to try to seduce Lenora. What was that all about? There would, That didn't even fit into the master plan in any capacity, except that that was just <laughs> something she wanted to do, I guess. So, like, what's there's going this, on there, you know? There's a line that she has, that, that Philibus has when she realizes is that like i think it's so she's coming out of the mansion where they've made the pact to like where she's made a decision to pin it on the on the detective and she sees leonora sitting in the car uh waiting for for her brother and she's like ah another tool i can use in my plan and it's like how how or never, or, or did never you, clear or did you just so, or did you just see a cute woman in a yeah, car the and you're like plan ah, for much, i think <laughs> My plan for emotional fulfillment of the soul, <laughs> it's, maybe. It's so great. Uh, shout out to to Philibus for awakening Leonora to her bisexuality. Uh, shout outs to um, Leonora for just marrying the biggest dipshit doofus of a man at the end of this movie. She just like, I mean, it's another silent film thing where uh, it's like not a super close crop, but she asks for he asks for her hand one last time after after the jig is up and Philibus is is sort of absconded. Uh, Leo asks for Leo Sandy, by the way, what the fuck yeah. kind of name is Leo that? Sandy. Oh, Sandy. Sandy. Speaking Sandy. of which, and like, that's her competition, right? Like oh that's that's the straight dude that that Philibus has to compete with. It's like it's like the um the boyfriend named Brad like the, just the leo sandy get out of here i'm gonna and that's yeah, I, I i laughed at that too it's just like well uh you know i i know that the coolest count in the world is gone um will you marry me now and she's like mm, yeah okay it's like oh man i was i was just about what to say, a pathetic loser. i love that it's like only after she's exhausted the thing that she actually wants only after her hope for like a better world is gone she's like yeah i'll marry the guy who sounds like what somebody would order as a usual at a diner in minneapolis i'll take also, one did I, sandy please did i miss something or at one point i think it's the second time that she um like springs herself on the the veranda or the rooftops of the villa does she actually bop leo sandy on the head with the metal container to knock him out because that happens to somebody <laughs> at some point in this movie doesn't it i think oh, yeah no, i think that happens i think there's a distinct bop it's so good dude how did they see I, and I also, do that why are you hanging and... out on rooftops all the time when your signature <laughs> rivals her her fucking like signature move, her finisher, is that she's got this metal can that she can drop on you at, at a moment's notice that you apparently never see. Oh my see god, that's Philibus's music! Yeah, oh no, <laughs> she's got the can! Go inside! Like, I would simply, I guess I would simply conduct my investigation indoors, but I, I'm different. There are... There are many Metal Gear Solid Five memes to be made out of those sequences, just air dropping gigantic aluminum cans onto people's heads to knock them out. Yes. Oh my god! Cody, I never even picked up on that. But this is absolutely just Metal Gear Solid Five. <laughs> just like she's got the Fulton and she's taking Leo Sandy up to to fucking Mother Base. <laughs> oh man, what a what a fun movie! Yeah, check it out whenever you can. I too regret having missed it at the Trilon, but uh, you can catch it in a number of other places, uh, and you should. Um, that sounded like final, final thoughts. Was there anything else anybody wanted to get out of their tank before we, before we go on our final segment of the show? All right. It's Given time. that there's, yeah, that there's nobody else to accompany me except the, the one person who's on the podcast and not presenting this segment. Uh, let's, let's introduce it. It is the segment that we like to call <gasps> Cody's, Cody's Noting. Noting. 
Wow. Thank you, gentlemen, for that introduction. That shit was filibussin. Filibussin. Um, awesome. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't, admittedly wasn't quite sure what, uh, what Philibus inspired thing, uh, I wanted to do for this segment here today until I read Jason's letterboxd entry for this movie, which reads as follows. <clears throat> the plot of this movie is indistinguishable from three lines of a 2005 Panic at the Disco song that didn't chart, end quote. <laughs> um, which brings us to today's challenge, which I like to call songline or tagline. So okay, I have combed okay. I have combed the internet, the entire internet, all of it, for a small collection of song lyrics from uh, emo bands, as well as taglines from movies. And what I'm going to do is alternate get my between ass the two kicked. of you. Uh, listen, I'm uh, with uh, mileages may vary. I expect big things out of you too, because I did not cast a super wide net. Um, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, but uh, one at a time, I will. Uh, I'll read a line. And you'll make the determination of songline or tagline. If you're correct, you'll get a point, and the person with the most points at the end will win. As always, trivia mafia rules apply here. So use your noodles, not your Googles. Uh, with that, let's jump in. And I think last time uh, I, I tried to look back through my own um, uh, archived noties. I think the last time we did a two-person game, uh, Harry started. So this time we'll start with Jason. And so I'm going to read off. The first line here, we've got uh, five lines, uh, five of these apiece. So each of you will get five opportunities to, to garner some points. This is the first one for Jason. Songline or tagline? This all was only wishful thinking. Is that a songline or a tagline? Wow. Uh, I'll admit I expected this to be easier. I, I thought this was going to be easier, and I don't know why. Maybe it was it's the, the different energy in the room without Aaron here. Um, I'm going to say songline. This makes me feel like it's filling in for for a beat to keep things in meter but i'll say i'll say it's a it's a song line jason's going with song line and it is indeed song line it is from taking back sunday's cute without the e cut from the team oh, from the wow. 2002 album tell all your friends um yeah this was only wishful thinking i'm not gonna sing all of them i don't know why i did that one i told myself <laughs> i wasn't going no, to you gotta all do the songs sing the, the songs one. sing the songs i sing the might songs. Sing, we will see. Uh, you know, I, I've I've had three quarters of a cup of coffee. Anything is possible. So that's a point for Jason uh, for correctly identifying. We're going to move on to Harry's first line. Here is the line, Harry. Why would anybody leave the safety of their homes? Is that a song line or a tagline? Uh, unfortunately, I think it's a tagline. Um, it would be a better song line than a tagline, but I could be wrong. Let's it does see. sound like I'm a David wrong. Byrne line, doesn't it? It's from Fear of Music, specifically, where all of the songs <laughs> are about how afraid he is to leave his home. Yeah. The ostensibly emo David Byrne. Um, yes. So uh, tagline is the guess. Uh, it is indeed a song line uh, from Newfound Glory's No News is Good News off their 2004 album Catalyst. Uh they sing a little too high for my comfort level on microphones. So um, just listen to it. Uh, I, I think I found them off of a, that song off a, a work tour compilation CD or something. We're learning about me. Um, it's, it's good fun. Uh, we're moving on to Jason's second line here. Jason's song line or tagline as if one wasn't enough, as if death needed a double. Oh my God. Um, wow. This could be, this could be a sequel or it could be like, I don't know. I'm going to say tagline. We haven't had a tagline yet. So I'm going to say tagline. 
All right, Jason is going with tagline. It is indeed a tagline. Oh, it God. Is, uh, <laughs> it, it, it comes from, uh, or it is one of the taglines uh, from uh, the 1965 film directed by Sergio Leone for a few dollars more. Oh, my God. That is wow. such a sick tagline, too. I definitely yeah, that thought it was That movie so good, dude. If you haven't yeah. seen that movie, you should see it. I think it might be I my haven't. favorite of the Dollars trilogy. Um, I really like Good, Bad, and the Ugly, too, but man. My yeah, man Van I was going to say, I don't... Ooh, he eats it up in yeah. that movie. <laughs> Those two are really close in my mind, too. I think Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is, is my preferred, but um, that one is is right on its tail. Um, really good take. Um, speaking of Harry saying things, we're going back to Harry for his second line. Song line or tagline, Harry. Uh, here it is. Stories yet to unfold, tales that must be retold. feel like i'm gonna make the same mistake i made last time but same old mistakes i'm gonna go with tagline harry is going with tagline it is a song line uh it is from the song running from lions by all time low which i think that song's on a few albums but i heard it off of their 2006 ep put up or shut up um this is an incredible game and i'm not just saying that because i'm winning Um, I was, as I always am, I'm, I was unsure of how this would feel and go. We're not even halfway through yet, uh, though. So, uh, still very much anybody's game. I should not be tooting anybody's horn yet, especially mine own. Um, but we are going back to Jason for his third line. Here it is. Her soft mouth was the road to sin smeared violence. Is that a song line or a tagline? My God, if it's a tagline, it's from like, a 1960s Italian. It's got to be Sin porno. City or a song title, right? It's one of those two. <laughs> I, I don't know why I'm helping you, but thank you, thank you. I appreciate. It. Well, I mean, you can't get. Here's the thing: Cody has devised this such that you can't get my questions right. Like, you can only devise ways to fuck me up. So, hey, keep that in mind. Um, Meta gaming over here. Yeah, I think that's a video game. Or maybe not. I think metal was part novice. of sports before it was part of video games, but who knows? Okay. I don't know sports. Oh, right. I know sports. Metaphysics before it was part of. Anyway. There's a gray area where these environments <laughs> collide. Before it was a whole verse unto itself. Um, we have. <laughs> I'm going to go song lyrics. All right, Jason is going songline. Uh, it is a tagline. Uh, <sighs> it is a, a tagline for Killer's Kiss, the 1955 film directed by Stanley Kubrick. Oh my um, goodness. Uh, Admittedly, his feature film that folks are probably least familiar with. Wait, I did you do a movie called it. Killers and Killers Kiss? Uh, or the, I I, the, the Killing, I think, is... Oh, The he, Killing. He did okay. Killers yep. Kiss, and then The Killing, I think, was was afterward. Um, yeah, part of the early parts of his filmography that I'm very murky on. Um, but yeah, Killers Kiss. Shout out to Killers Kiss. Um, so no point for Jason there. Jason uh, is still at a, a 2-0 lead. Uh, if my notepad is to be correct, still very much uh, anybody's it's okay, game. Because next week we're going to do um, tagline or system of a down lyrics, uh, which is what <laughs> I was listening to around that time. So I'll really kill next week. So don't even worry about it. Nice. I'm looking forward uh, to that. Um, stay tuned. Uh, in any case, uh, we're moving along to, to Harry's third line. Here it is. Harry's song line or tagline. They built the city to see what makes us tick. Man, I'm in my head. I'm playing myself. It's so hard, like, too. I, well, because it's like, I, I'm going to go songline this time because I did tagline last, the last two times. But like, what if that's, what if I'm like tripping myself up? 
Right. What if that's all part of my my scheme? My Philibus-esque scheme. Says, what if this is just the Truman Show? I don't think it's the Truman Show, but that would be pretty funny. Um, <laughs> well, I'm going to go with song title, Cody. Let's do it. I'm not going to beat Jason anyway, so let's just let's fucking go. Let it rip. Harry is going with songline. Folks, it is a tagline for, oh my uh, God. for 1998's Dark City, directed by Alex Proyas. Um, I saw that. In a film class in college, I remember liking it. I have not felt the need to revisit it, man. Yeah. And and that really is is a referendum on me because I've never seen Dark City, even though I'm pretty sure I would like it a lot, and I really want to see <laughs> I it. Think I think you would, just, yeah. I I think you definitely would. Shout out to Dark City. Um, don't come on the pod. We have enough of you in the in the real world. <laughs> Am I right? Um, there there are two more of these a piece. Uh, this first one in the next batch is going to, I don't know why I framed it like that. This next line is for Jason. Uh, and here it is. It's like looking in a mirror, only not. Is that a song line or a tagline? Uh, tagline. I'm not second guessing this. All right. Tagline says Jason and tagline. It is, uh, it is a tagline for 1997's face off previous episode, oh, wow. by the way, directed by John Woo. It's like looking in a mirror, only not. Wow. What kind of briefly cheeky. I, yeah, I can't decide if that's like a really good tagline or a really fucking terrible one. Like I think you it's just a very gave up in the marketing department. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, I just watched Mission Impossible Two last night, the John Woo directed yeah, one. I'm gonna need I need to watch that one again. Uh I don't I've, I don't think I liked it enough to like isn't want it like to two watch and it again, but I think long? I need to. It's 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 just over two, but it is um man, it's it's a trial. It, I felt yeah. really good about it for like 16 minutes, but those 16 minutes were cut up through like 16 minutes, the 16 distinct moments throughout the two hour movie. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, wait, no, is, I, is that the one where Ethan Hunt and the other guy motorcycle at one another and then leap yes. off their motorcycles and yes. tackle each other in midair? Wow. You are That's describing one five. of the 16. Yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> come on. Uh, yeah. What, Jason, watching you and Seth, um, uh, go, presumably going through the the canon. I've been wanting to sit down and I, because I've seen like half of them up to this point, half of the Mission Impossible movies. I've wanted to just sit down and like progressively kind of chug a lug through them. Um, and I think it, you've you two let's, have maybe given me the inspiration to start up. Yeah, let's seems let's like a good enterprise. It. We're only we're only too deep, and the next one is the one with Philip Seymour Hoffman. So I would absolutely see yeah. that one with the boys. All right. Well, okay. We'll put a pin in that. That sounds juicy as all hell. Um, speaking of... Well, Back to my ad Let's do it. <laughs> all right. Mm. This next line is for Harry. Um, this is Harry's second to last line. Uh, and here it reads, What will it take to show you that it's not the life it seems? Is that a song line or a tag line? Song line. Song line, says Harry. Song line it is. Um... We all, we all know we all know what song this is from, right, fellas? It's My Chemical Romances. I'm not okay. I well, promise. From 2004's you? Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. I did um, listen to a lot of that particular album. It was a favorite as of a girl. All self-respecting <laughs> men do. Absolutely. Um, when I was a young boy, I listened to <laughs> that that band quite a bit. Um, each of the fellas has has one more to go. The score is currently three to one in favor of Jason. Look, they're both on the board. We're all in in good standing in the eyes of the Lord, and that is you know, the spirit of Saint Nodes. Um, we've got one more piece, Jason. This one's for you. Is it a song line or a tagline? Every time I'm beginning to think what color your eyes are, you disappear. 
song line. What was that? That was song line. Jason is locking in song line. It is a tagline. Oh, poop. For the 1950 uh, severely undervalued classic directed by Alfred Hitchcock, Stage Fright. Oh, no. I've seen uh, this movie. I'm a- Unleash stage fright. That's well, that one's really it's... tricky, though, because what kind of a tagline uses first person? That, like, yeah. never happens. So, very tricky, well, Cody. Good one. That's what makes stage fright so dang good, right? Yeah. And, yeah, it's right. Exactly. It ends with, you disappear. That's, wow. It's very, it's, yeah. it's too It's it's too much. Um, I'm glad they, they um, started steering taglines away from that. Um, it's very <laughs> confrontational. Um <laughs> Very suspenseful. It makes sense for Hitchcock. We've got one more here, and it belongs to Harry. Uh, whether it fits in the box of songline or tagline, that remains to be seen. It's up for Harry to decide. Here is the line. It is hard when all you want to be is in a dream. Is a what? I'm sorry? Sure, I'll, I'll read it again. It is hard when all you want to be is in a dream. Song title or song line. Here he's going with song. It is indeed from a song. It is from the song Woe by Say Anything from their 2004 album. Dot 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 is a real boy. Uh, yep. Excellent. Well, hey, um, Harry closed the gap in the end. Um, the final score was, however, three to two in favor of Jason Daphnis, um, co-host of the the dueling album review show Crossfade, uh, free wherever you find your podcasts. And rumor has it they are rising from the dead soon. Rising from the dead, much like um, you know, uh, well, not a lot of well, probably none of the emo bands that we just talked about. Um, but shout out to emo band, shout out to emo music, shout out to Songline or Tagline. Grazie mille for your participation. Uh, prego. Uh, this has been a, an episode of trial of, thank you so much, Cody, for ending the episode as you always do on such a fun high note. Um, I refuse to let this become a point of contention or, um, uh, 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 any kind of rivalry between me and Harry over who won and who didn't. We don't have the great usurper. Uh, I won't mention his name, but he is absent from this episode. And so I will leave his spirit absent, uh, in, in good sport. We both had a hell of a lot of fun with that game. Uh, and we both in ways one. Um, but just remembering that I actually won by more points. This uh, has been an episode of try love about um, it is a movie called Philibus. You can find it on uh, Kino now or canopy. If your library supports it, um, I was told that it's on Amazon, but it, I didn't actually see it there. So, uh, you know, fuck that, fuck that guy. Um, but it was playing at the Trilon. Uh, they do a lot of other cool stuff aside from just movies. This one included at the Trilon um, uh, a live score as performed by a live pianist. Uh, that happens more often than you think at the Trilon with uh, in, in cooperation with a lot of other uh, music and movie uh, theme. Uh, uh, what am I thinking of? Uh, oh, enthusiast groups at the Trilon. Uh, so just keep an eye on Trilon.org for showings and uh, and new series. Oh, speaking of which, um, we have. I just want to do some. Uh, 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 what what is it? Some house cleaning, some housekeeping. Uh, I guess I should have done this at the top, but uh, their tickets are now available. I guess I'll just make this a running thing to um, uh, Elegy for a Master, the late Kurosawa series playing at the Trilon in February. Uh, we've got tickets to um, anime's great genius, Satoshi Kone. And uh, actually, Harry, do you want to tell me about what they're playing in May 2022? Oh, me? I don't know why you would have called. Yeah, they're playing Godzilla movies in, in May, y'all. <laughs> so... 
catch me in the back. You hear it. You know what it is. Uh, it's it's happening. It's actually happening. We didn't know if it was ever going to happen. Uh, and it is. So catch me and Godzilla in the back of the theater for every single one of those showings. Um, I'll see you there. And d- you better be there because otherwise you know what's going to happen to you. Godzilla is going to happen to you. That that was the implication. <laughs> I am so glad for all of us. That is going to be a banger march through uh, through May at the Trilon. I head there, be there. Uh, but for right now, since you're here, um, go ahead and uh, you know check us out on Twitter at Trilon. Or excuse me, Jesus, I am equating us too much with our benefactor. Um, find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. Find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema. Uh, stick around for more cool episodes about cool movies like this. I guess value judgment on our own episode there. Um, but check out the Trilon at Trilon.org. Get tickets and find cool ways to support them there. Uh, find me on Twitter um, if you look really, 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 really hard at uh, twitter.com slash N-I-N-T-E-N-D-U-F-U-S. No, 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 Nintendoofus. Um, thank you, everyone. Uh, I will now rise from the ashes. Don't call me pretentious. I'm just sitting here making my own rules. Man, my mental jukebox is going to be uh, a, a, alive and aflutter with all sorts of fun emo tunes. So, um, that's, you know what, that's really something. I've been Cody Narvis, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Yeah, congratulations to the true emo, Jason Daphnis. I knew I knew he was going to win. I knew it all along. We're both gentlemen here. We're both students of music and students of film and, above all, students of friendship. So it is in the spirit of that friendship that I pass this uh, trophy. I don't actually remember who uh, owns it at this point. I don't think it's me. Uh, the important thing is that it's not Aaron. It's certainly not Aaron. Uh, So congratulations, Jason. Uh, I'm very excited for the Godzilla films. So please um, come to those, I guess. Uh, It makes it sound like I'm putting them on. I'm not. Again, uh, Jason referred to Trilon as our benefactor. We are not paid by the Trilon. We are not. um, I mean, I I would say that we are supported by the Trilon in that they haven't kicked us out or put our pictures up and said, do not serve this man, <laughs> etc. But uh, for some reason, they allow us to continue to make this podcast. So thank you to them. Um, and thank you to you, listener. And that's all I've got to say. Although I was thinking of Italian words when everybody else was saying them. So Metagon, Stromboli, uh, Gabagool, etc. Unsung tastemaker from the shadows, Harry Mackin, Dominic DeCoco, uh, and then hold on. By tonight, this episode will be in Philibus's possession. Mm-hmm.